0: Log talk radio the following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Hits Magazine here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors This week's special guest will join us a bit later, but first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner, so let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live.
1: I, uh, of course, am your host, Ted Rico and very excited. Uh, we're going to be starting things off here uh, as we normally do this time of year with a, a great discussion on Coach's Corner. I've got the guys uh, waiting in the wings, if you will, and I'll bring them out here in just a moment. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be uh, welcoming back a guest. He's been on here a few times, actually, Joshua Jacobs, uh, the CEO and founder of TGA Premier Sports. Uh, he's based out of California, so he'll be joining me uh, here in uh, the second half of the show. So I'm really, really excited to have him back and talk about some of the things that he's been doing uh, here over the last several months. Um, And uh, just a quick note, uh, I've got a special going on right now. Uh, If you visit uh, my page on Facebook, that's Ted Odorico, or if you go to the Golf Tips uh, Magazine Facebook page, uh, there is the most recent post is a special offer. It's for Master's Week only, uh, and it will end at the end of Master's Sunday, so Championship Sunday, and it is a special offer on the digital subscriptions only for the Golf Tips magazine. So if you like the digital uh, version, you can go on there and uh, you can get over 60% off the regular subscription price. So for $2.99, you can get a one-year digital subscription and get all of the issues. Uh, Or you can do a two-year for $4.99. So it's a great deal, over 60% off. Go to Golf Tips Mag uh, on the Facebook social media page or you can go to my personal page. It's on there as well. Uh, and just click on there. There's a link in there, and uh, you can take right to the subscription page. You can gift it if you want, if you've already got a subscription. But uh, for those of you that like the digital version, it's a great way to go, and there's a special on right now, over 60% off the digital uh, uh, subscription for both options, uh, one-year or two-year. So take advantage of it. Uh, Go to Golf Tips Mag on the uh, Facebook page. uh, platform, and you'll see it there. All right, as I mentioned, we're going to starting off here with Coach's Corner. Let me introduce the guys. Uh, first up, of course, is John Hughes, uh, PJ Master Professional. Uh, he was the Honorary President of the North Florida PJ Section uh, in 2013. Uh, he was the recipient of the PGA of America's Horton Smith Award. Uh, he's also a Top 25 Instructor with Golf Tips, as well as a Senior Editor and part of the Golf Tips Advisory Staff. Uh, Also joining us tonight is Pete Buchanan, uh, founder and director of instruction and owner of Plain Simple Golf LLC. Uh, Plain Simple Golf, of course, houses the Plain Simple Golf circuit and the Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace, and he's been helping golfers focus on building a repeatable swing for over 30 years. So, guys, welcome to Coach's Corner here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks, Ted.
2: Thanks, Ted. Good to be here. Good to be with you, John.
1: All right. I appreciate both of you guys uh, as always, and I know it's. Uh, we were just talking off air uh, that you guys are, are busy, busy, busy. So I appreciate. Um, thank you very much uh, for giving of your time. I know it's not always easy to uh, scoot back home from the golf course uh, all day, and you're tired and <laughs> probably just want to kick back and relax, but unfortunately you're stuck with me for the next hour or so but i appreciate it very much all right we're going to talk about uh, a couple of things here uh... first off we're going to we're going to tackle five quick tips for those of you i mean we all want to hit the ball farther that are going to help you hit the ball farther and then, if we have time we're going to talk about creating a plan that will stand the test of time and i'll explain a little bit more about that if we have time if not i will save that for next week So at some point, every golfer, guys, gets the itch. They want to hit the ball further, and why not? Adding a bit more distance uh, certainly can help shorten your approach shots and improve your ability to hit greens and regulation. Plus, it feels great to really give it uh, a rip, if you will. Uh, The problems begin to creep into the pitcher when you start giving up consistency for those extra yards. Uh, These issues uh, predominantly arise From the belief that hitting the ball further means you need to be stronger or swing harder, which is a common misconception. So if you haven't already figured this out on your own, you'll soon find out that doing so increases your margin of error, thus resulting in a hook, slice, and all sorts of other messy shots. So with that said, here are five easy and more effective tips to help you hit the ball further. Uh, Give these a try next time you hit the range uh, for your practice session, but I'm going to pick the brains of these two guys here and see if we can help. John, I'm going to come to you first, and we're going to talk about really watching your grip. Um, you know, we've all heard as part of one of the fundamentals about having a good grip, um, but sometimes your grip can can uh, actually not do you justice if you're not holding the club correctly. So, um, we're going to talk about the actual uh, adjustments that can be made to the grip to help give you uh, gain you a little bit of extra speed, and then also uh, how grip pressure sort of plays a factor as well. So maybe you can tackle uh, that one first if you want or the other.
3: Sure. Thanks, Ted, again. My, my honor be on with you and Pete. Pete, always a pleasure being on with you. As far as grip goes, if you're really looking to gain more distance, it's all about where your left and right hands are placed on the grip so you have a flatter left wrist. So your bottom hand, I'm sorry, I'm talking right-handed here. So the the top hand Mm -hmm. is flatter. The bottom hand palm is facing the ground, trying to de-loft that golf club a little bit. But also the what we're finding out over time and with with some research is holding the grip too lightly is only going to make you do what? Grip it way too tight as you come down because you don't have security of the golf club. So right Mm -hmm. off the bat, The grip pressure is so vital to know that, okay, I've got security of it, but I'm not death gripping it because as soon as you death grip it, there is absolutely no flexibility, no uh, smoothness in how you're going to be able to create speed. At the end of the day, really simple drill for you to do. Make a fist with one arm and one hand and make it so tight and then try to move it fast it's almost impossible to do as soon as you allow that arm to be more relaxed yet holding a grip very securely all of a sudden you can move things faster and if you think about grip pressure that way that you want to hold it securely you want to don't worry about a bird or a tube of toothpaste just hold it securely but securely enough to where your wrists the rest of your hand can operate correctly Positionally, the more neutral, the better. When you go to a too strong of a grip, you're probably going to adjust the face somehow. As you said earlier, you lose consistency. What is that top mm-hmm. wrist doing? How flat is it to de-loft the club without closing it? The bottom hand, where's the palm? Is it, is it helping de-loft the club to gain more distance? It is about positioning that way. As much as I want to tell the listeners, here's one way of doing it, again, here you need to look at yourself in the mirror to see this, let your arms hang naturally from your shoulders, and you have a natural arm hang that probably puts your hands hanging at an angle to your body, and everybody's angular, neutral arm hang is different. So therefore, your, your grip's gonna be a little bit different based on who you are, your strengths, your weaknesses, and your ability to securely hold the golf club when you can accomplish those two things a really good neutral grip de-lofting the club and it's
1: secure you're probably going to hit it further without even trying yeah great points and and just a couple things you know that that uh that you said that was really important is allowing your your arms to hang naturally uh to the side and your hands as well um how that differs from everybody because you know, If you stand in front of the mirror, obviously you want to do that so you can best see it because you don't want to be looking down because that sometimes can change how things are. So if you hang your arms naturally, you'll find that for some people, their hands will kind of turn in a little bit. Some will just be straight down. And you don't want to force. You want them to just length. You want them to be loose. You want them to hang naturally and not uh, force position. Some people, believe it or not, actually their hands will turn slightly out from their body. Uh, and that's important because, again, what's neutral for one may not be for the other. Um, so that's why you may see some people grip things a little bit stronger, some a little bit uh, with a, a lighter or more neutral grip than somebody else because that's more natural feeling to them. So that is a, a certainly important aspect. And I just want to quickly touch on uh, – and then, Pete, I'm going to come to you with a different question uh, on grip pressure because you mentioned a couple things. You know, we we've often heard – you know, imagine you're holding a baby bird or you're squeezing a, 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 a tube of toothpaste. Those are great analogies as long as you don't misinterpret them. And what I mean by that is uh, the the whole premise behind both of those examples is to not, as you put it, John, incur that death grip. So they're trying to instill a, a feeling of gripping a little bit light pressure. But the problem is with a lot of people, they've taken it literally and barely holding on to the club so one of two things happen as you said from the downs uh, from the backswing coming down you end up regripping a lot of times too tight and then it creates a lot of issues uh, or if you're really too light the club goes flying at the end when you uh, finish your downswing so uh, just a couple of key points i wanted to mention out as well but great answer john i appreciate that and you're spot on as always um Pete, this is one I think that, that you'll love to to bring in. And that is to move the hips, uh, getting your hips involved. Uh, you ever wonder how you know we all see some of the smaller players on the PJ tour or LPJ tour uh, still be able to drive the ball uh, very far? Well, it's because a lot of it's in the hips. Uh, keeping that in mind when you start your downswing, uh, using the hips as a trigger to pull the club through your swing rather than trying to push it through with your arms allows you to use that sort of twisting momentum to generate a faster club head speed. So talk about the hips as well, because I think what this really gets to Pete is a lot about sequencing of the golf swing. Go ahead.
2: Well, it's a great question. Again, you know, it's a pleasure to be on and John, always, always enjoy uh, spending some time with you on, on the coach's corner. You know, I, I think it's, it's a great question because I think more, swings have been ruined by trying to move the hips and have been helped. Um, there, there's, a, there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. Um, and it really depends a lot when you're looking at tour players, especially on where they're coming from in the backswing. Uh, you're going to find some really utilize the hips a lot more. Those coming at, at the ball with the club face, that's more closed. And you'll see that some don't utilize it as much as they're coming with the face more neutral. So there's a combination in there, and your idea on sequencing is, is really right. Um, but, but the hips need to also move to keep you in balance because balance is going to be a great key to allow you to be able to drive the upper half. And so the legs and the hips together are going to be something that's going to help you to turn to keep the upper body balanced and to keep the overall motion so that you can you can move the lower half to start to get the upper half situated and now you've got an opportunity to drive the hands and arms down and through uh, to get the club in the right spot. And, you know, too many times I think uh, amateurs, when they're trying to, to, to really hit it hard, they'll they'll throw themselves at it and forget to use the club. And so, you know, they move so hard with the lower half that they, they get themselves totally out of position to try to swing the club in the right direction. Um, you know, we all know that, you know, one of the things that's going to help you to hit it along the ways is, is the correct contact, you know, getting the, the proper contact between the club and the ball. But I think when you're really looking at the lower half and the hips, um, yeah, they do turn. I don't think they drive as much as I think most people think, you know, they're not sliding and driving the hips way forward. They actually might move a little bit, but they turn and rotate to allow the upper half to come into the right direction. But most importantly in that sequence to get the lower half to turn to balance the upper half and the arm swing to get the face more neutral when it comes into hitting it. So I think it's, it's a great question. Um, I think when you're looking at different players, you're going to see a difference between how they move with, you know, how much the hips are out ahead and turned out uh, from the upper body or, or more neutral together. But it really all depends on, you know, where they're attacking it from with the back swing that they have, but it's definitely an important issue to get distance because you've got to have the legs, the hips, and that balance and that drive to center everything, to keep the balance uh, so that the upper half has a chance to swing from a good direction, which will allow you to put the maximum, you know, force of what you're trying to do onto the ball to help you gain the distance.
1: Great explanation. I love it. Um, You know, we see so many different players. Again, we're all, uh, we're all different. And I think golf um, instruction has really, evolved over the last several years to understand better that we are all different and you're going to see from one player to another, you're going to see some that are going to be more of a turning motion, less hip lateral hip movement, some very little lateral hip movement, more turning and others you'll see will make a much more pronounced. We've seen some players as well, make a much more pronounced lateral movement. Uh, again, it all boils to balance and, and John, it goes into this really uh, one sort of feeds into the other. And really what we're talking about here as well is shifting your weight. Transferring your weight is also very important. Uh, at the peak of your backswing, roughly, uh, and again, this is just a rough estimate, 60% of your weight should be on your back leg. For If you're a right-handed golfer, that would be your right leg. Left-handed golfer, that would be your left leg, would be your back leg. And as you pivot through the ball with your hips and hands, about 85 to 90% of your weight should begin to shift to your front leg. So shifting the weight is also another thing to focus on if you want to gain those extra yards, but it kind of goes hand-in-hand with what Pete just talked about, and that is really utilizing your hips. So maybe you could touch a little bit more uh, and help people understand about that weight shift from the back foot to the front, um, what should happen, what it should feel like essentially, and what more often than not um, golfers tend to do wrong and what are some of the the problems that it can cause. I know that's a a mouthful, but I know you can handle it.
3: (laughs) No, and I'll handle it in the two buzzwords that's out there now, ground force. A lot of people come to me asking, hey, I want to hit it further. What's this about ground force? Can you explain that to me? I know about weight shift, and, and like Pete said, there's different types of rotation uh, whether it's a little bit of lateral, more rotational, whatever it is. But that's all caused by how your feet interact with the ground, and you're able to take your weight from the back part of your swing at the top of your swing and move it towards the front. So I want to give someone a vis- everybody a visual picture. If they can envision Jason Duffner, when he was in his prime winning a PGA championship, His waggle, forget about his waggle with his wrists. If he can see his feet, and his feet went from heel to heel, heel to heel. And that was something he and Chuck Cook worked on quite a bit early in his career when he was at Auburn, was, hey, at the top of your swing, you need to be in your back heel for the right-hander, the right-heel, left-hander, the left-heel. Why is this important? You need somewhere to post that weight to. You need a place where the weight to start. Now, if we're talking about setup, there's lots of different theories, lots of different opinions, but at the end of the day, at the top of your swing, you've got to have the ability to feel like, wow, I'm really strong, I'm really solid, I'm in a position where I can literally take my right heel and instep and push into the ground to literally start creating that weight shift forward. And as that weight shift goes forward, whether you've got a little bit of lateral turn, a complete rotational turn of your hips, that has a lot to do with your fitness level, your, your anatomy. But that is what's going to happen. It starts from the ground up. From there, think about Jason Duffner getting into his left heel at impact. It's not enough just to be balanced. It's not enough just to transfer 80 to 90% to your front foot. It's where in that front foot you want to be to actually leverage the ground more. Yeah. Justin Thomas leaps. I've got quite a few junior golfers who are working on that leap to either get rid of it or minimize it because that leap is in essence, balance forward onto the toes. And that's going to release the Mm -hmm. club earlier than you realize simply because your equilibrium is trying to counterbalance you. You get into the heel of that front foot Now, not only do you have a post to the back, you've got a post to the front. And the vision that I Mm -hmm. give people is, hey, shoulder, belt, and ankle, those are basically hinges to a doorway. And once you get those hinges mounted to the doorway, you're trying to turn into that doorway. And when you do that, the weight shift goes forward. It propels everything from bottom up. And then from up, meaning shoulders, down to the golf club, without a weight shift, you're losing, in some estimations, as much as 60% of the total energy you can create no matter what your fitness level may be. It's it's a really astonishing number, but when you think about it, if you keep your weight on the back foot, how can you hit it far? Just think about that and yep. think about heel to heel to those people out there, it's, it's a Something I work with almost daily with my amateur clients. On
1: it's very interesting that you you really isolated the the footwork because you know Nicholas talked about that a lot through his career. He said really the golf swing, um, you know, in addition to happening between your ears, of course, he was referring to the mental game. He said really happens between your feet. It's it's the movement between your feet that is going to really dictate balance. And he talked about if you've got good footwork, you're going to get that proper weight transfer. If you don't, then you're going to end up falling back on your your trail foot, which, again, for right-handed golfers is going to be your right foot. Uh, And a lot of times we we create that what they call reverse pivot. And a lot of times in that case, too, uh, you you do a lot of casting or you throw uh, your right shoulder tends to go out, before going down, and you get a lot of that cutting across the ball. So there's a lot of different things uh, when it comes to, you know, using our hips and understanding shifting the weight. And I think what you said really um, should resonate. People need to pay attention to that. And I find, too, there are a lot of great drills that you can do. Obviously, we can't get into them on, on air because it's a little hard to visualize um, on air here. But uh, I like to have students close their eyes and – just very gently swing, do full swings, but not at full capacity, just at maybe 50%, just to feel the weight of the club and just feel that transfer from foot to foot. um, And seeing if their, their balance is being maintained. And if they do things correctly, they should be able to stay in balance, even with their eyes closed. If they're not, they're going to be a little wobbly or they're going to end up falling back or maybe even going a little bit too far if they try to force it by moving those hips out in front too much. So, um, Great answer, John. I like that. And Pete as well on, on using and utilizing the hips properly. Pete, I'm going to come back to you on this one here. And this is one we we hear a lot about, and that is keeping that lead arm straight. Uh, again, we're going to talk about right-handed golfers, so for you left-handers, uh, uh, just sort of flip things in reverse. Um, but this is something, too, but there's a lot of misunderstandings about this as well. You know, we've been taught about keeping that... Uh, you know, that straighter you keep that your lead arm or left arm for right-handed golfers, the longer the ball will travel. Well, there's a certain element of truth to that. Uh, it is certainly essential for adding distance. Um, and you're going to create a longer uh, distance for the club head to travel by keeping that lead arm straight uh, in order to get the ball back in impact. So a longer swing certainly does usually result in more distance on your shot, but there is a danger as well, and one of those is locking the arm. Maybe you can touch on some of the pros and cons and what it really means about keeping that lead arm straight. Pete, that's for you.
2: Yeah, that's another great question. You know, the lead arm is is to create width, and that's really what its purpose is. The lead arm is going to create width. The trail arm is going to help you to be able to, you know, position the club in a pretty good spot and also to be able to help drive the club back through the ball. But the the lead arm and its width is important that you know, when you return it back to the ball, you've got sufficient width to get back to a good contact point. Um, if it's rigid and stiff, it's going to minimize the amount of movement that you can make, and it will probably affect a lot what happens with your trail arm. Um, being said, I mean, one of the straightest drivers to ever play the PGA Tour was Calvin Pete, who injured his left arm as a youngster and couldn't straighten it. But he, he used mm-hmm. that to provide sufficient width based on what he was doing. And so, you know, we utilize that arm to the width that was necessary. So the, the lead arm is really important because, you know, as, as you move away, um, you, you've got to have sufficient to get a wide enough arc so that you can, you know, create a little bit more speed. A wider arc is going to help you get more, more overall club speed, but you don't want to get it to where it puts you out of position by being, you know, too stiff or too much in the wrong direction or too straight or too steep. You know, one of the things we see a lot with, you know, especially with drivers, with players that, you know, they just swing the club so vertical with uh, one club that's built to swing horizontal. And so it doesn't match up very well. And so you have to be careful that you don't get the club out of position by trying to keep the the, the lead arm, you know, straight or locked or, or, you know, it's just there to create sufficient width. And I know for myself as, as I've gotten older um, in, in playing this game, I don't have as much, you know, overall length of motion that I used to have. Um, and you know, my left arm has a little bit of a bend at the top, but I provide sufficient width at it coming back to the bottom to get back to the golf ball. So I think it, it has to have enough, uh, straightness or length to create a, a, a sufficient width to get you, you know, coming at it from an angle that's going to give you sufficient speed and contact, but I don't think it has to be rigid and locked. And, you know, going on that a little bit, you know, I used to tell all the time when when I was doing a bunch of clinics, you know, if you keep your lead arm straight and your, and your trail arm tucked into your side, there's about a foot gap and you're not going to be able to grab onto the golf club. You know, there's got to be some give and take between the two arms. Um, but, you know, you don't want to have anything that's too rigid or too locked, but you want to create enough of a, of a width and sufficient width of that lead arm so you have a pretty good arc that you can drive the ball with maximum distance.
0: Yeah, and I,
1: and that's a, a great definition Pete, an explanation of of that lead arm because, you know, like you, obviously we all, as we get a little bit older, we don't have the same flexibility in that. What often we see with a lot of um, senior golfers will often see because they, they don't have the flexibility, they'll try to force that arm straight and they'll literally lock it. And the problem is that's fine for the first little bit, but as you start to get further in the backswing, if you lock that arm, you won't be able to take it back very far. There, has to be, there is a certain amount of natural bend that happens even in your lead arm. Now, obviously, for some younger players, they're able to maintain that a little bit longer and get a full 90-degree turn. But some of our senior golfers, they're not turning 90 degrees, uh, certainly not naturally. They might only you know, get 75, 80 at the most uh, if, they're, if they're in pretty good shape. And by keeping that left arm locked, and not really just focusing on getting proper width uh, creates a whole myriad of problems. So I I really appreciate the way you you sort of explain that out. Um, It it looks and appears straight, but if you actually look at it, it's really not, as they said, ramrod straight or it's not locked. Uh, There is a very slight bend uh, in that lead arm. But it is important to keep it as straight as you can without locking it in order to get that uh, width. Um, So great answer. Thank you, Pete. I I appreciate that. John, on this last one here um, that we have for our our five quick tips uh, for helping to gain more distance, and this one here is another one, Uh, again, I think that there's a lot of misunderstandings and there's a lot of forcing of this particular movement, and that is to turn your hands over. Uh, Making sure you finish your swing strong by turning your right hand over at the correct moment uh, is certainly important. The key is to snap, some refer to as a whoosh, if you will, of your right hand for righties, Uh, through the ball at impact in order to ramp up that extra club speed, which will turn, uh, in turn increase the flight uh, distance of the ball. So talk about what it really means to sort of turn the hands over. Um, Some don't like to use that term. You may have something else that you do. But essentially what is happening as we're coming through impact with our hands? What's actually transitioning?
3: So the way you described it initially is the classic quote-unquote flip. What I mean by that Mm -hmm. is so many people want to turn that bottom hand over and immediately cup the top wrist. You start flipping the club. You can close it. You can open it. You can do a lot of different things based on what time in the swing that you start turning that wrist. So when you're talking about driver and we're talking about speed and, and distance, so let's just isolate it here with the driver. If you can imagine hitting the inside of the golf ball and where that face has got to be for that to happen, there's no way you're going to turn your wrists over any earlier than the moment of impact. If you do, you're probably going to hit the outside of the golf ball, if you can imagine that in your hands right now. With that said, can you now take the club, and the term is block, and literally block the ball to the right. And when you do that, you're using the ground force to to make the weight shift. You're making the rotation. You're trying to keep that lead arm as extended as possible. When you go to do that, that front wrist, if you're looking at it from a pure speed standpoint of view, flattens. If it doesn't flatten, it's actually bending the opposite way, sort of like a Dustin Johnson. And then your right, your bot for the right-hander, the right hand, the palm, and I said this earlier when we were talking about grip, it's not rotating up like you're going to hold a tray of drinks. It's actually rotating down. The palm of that hand is going down facing the ground, and that's going to basically keep loft from being too superficial, too much, and keep the club square. It's from that point of impact and beyond that what the common average golfer, the not so educated golfer sees is the rotation of the hands past the ball. You'll see a full release and extension of both hands, sort of a Y. You could literally draw a Y from the shoulders down to the hands, hands down to the golf club. And that golf club is going to be anywhere between a foot. To three feet in front of the golf ball, based on the golfer and the way they rotate and the way they make a weight shift. But if you put them at impact, that that bottom palm is facing down. The true long distance drivers, that palm is facing down. That lead wrist is flat. And if you go to rotate too early, that's normally where Pete and I and you see. Not only the super inconsistent distances, but we see the double miss. And the double miss is where all this gets miscombobulated with. If you can miss to one side, preferably the right side, if you can, you're going to have that bottom palm down, top wrist flat, and this is going to enable you to release, not rotate, but release the club through the golf ball. And that's really the key. It's not about rotating hands. It's about releasing the club head and the face of the club through the golf ball. And if you can think of hitting the inside of the golf ball, you're well on your way to establishing that long-term for yourself.
1: Great, great explanation. Um, You know, again, I I picked, Really, these areas to talk about tonight, because as both of you have pointed out, with each of the five points, is not not only what we need to be thinking about as golfers, um, but what we need not to be focusing on as well. You very eloquently pointed out in each case, you know, some of the the misconceptions and or the misunderstandings that are often uh, relayed out there, and you know, I, I think sometimes you know, it, it's been well intended over the years through instruction, but as I mentioned earlier about uh, you know, with the grip, about some people sort of visualizing or, or hearing that, you know, holding a baby bird or even a tube of toothpaste, a lot of times people misunderstand really what what's being taught to them and some cases it's not really meant to be literal it's just meant to be sort of metaphoric and, and saying okay this is what you need to this is sort of a sense that you want to have but you don't literally have to take it that way 100% of the time and the reason why I think that it's important to get these things out for a lot of golfers is there's still a lot of folks out there um, that are struggling you know they've been playing for a long time especially some of our uh, more seasoned golfers that have been out for a little bit um, you know we certainly want them to to be healthy and and be fit but you know you don't if you want to hit the ball further <coughs> pardon me <coughs> excuse me you don't need to you know necessarily be hitting the gym five days a week or uh or be swinging out of your shoes in order to hit the ball further uh it really a lot of times it can be something simple in your swing mechanics and not necessarily your muscles uh that can make the golf ball travel farther like we talked about tonight so You know, get out there and give uh, these tips that we've talked about here tonight in some of these areas. Play them over again after the show is over. Go back. You can uh, go to the network, uh, blogtalkradio.com, and you'll see the uh, recorded version will be there. Of course, we're live right now, but uh, you'll see the recorded version at the end of the show. Go back and listen to those points again, and when you get out there and you're working with your uh, professional, talk to them about some of these things and make sure that you fully understand everything that we're talking about here. Um, And if you do so... You're going to find that you're going to start seeing uh, extra yards. Forget about going out and spending you know more money on more equipment to try and get the job done. Sometimes just fixing the things within yourself is going to accomplish what it is that you want. And getting together with a good golf instructor like the guys on the show tonight, uh, and getting them to help you through some of these different areas and challenges of your game, uh, you're going to start to see those extra yards, and you're going to feel better about your golf game overall. And, uh, and certainly have more enjoyment to the game. All right, guys, we still have some time left, and as I said, uh, in addition to the five quick tips to hit the ball further, we were going to talk about creating a plan that will stand the test of time. I'm going to set this up, and I'm really what we're going to do is uh, not so much a, a back and forth. But this is going to be sort of an open discussion. Uh, I'm going to start with, with uh, Pete on this, just to start with, and then, John, you know, I want you to jump in at some point as well, and all, of course, is always throwing my two cents. So here's what I mean by uh, creating a plan that stands the test of time. One of the things that a lot of golfers do, Pete, is, you know, they come out each season, you know, they go through the process, they work on some of the fundamentals, and they get out there and they play some pretty decent golf, maybe have a few bad rounds, but they overall play pretty decent. Then they sort of shelf the clubs for a little while, they get back out, and the next year they've got to keep repeat, you know, it's, it's like a wash, repeat, and rinse. And they don't really seem to be able to – to get out there and, and pick up where they've left off. So as an instructor or as instructors for both of you, what do you like to do when you're working with a student, whether it's a new student or somebody that you've been working with a while, uh, what is it that you like to do? Let's build out a, a repeatable system, if you will. Let's forget about the swing, a system that they can take from season to season and certainly build upon each season and improve upon each season, but that's going to stand the test of time and it's not going to be like the reinventing the wheel every time they come out each season. So how can we start them off right and what are some of the things that we need to do to make sure that we're giving them the groundwork and the tools that are going to help them be able to accomplish that? Pete, I'm going to start with you and then John, I want you to jump in.
2: This is a really good one. You know, the first thing I like to, to get all of my players to do is is, you know, what are you after in the first place? What are you trying to do? And what is your overall, you know, goal for this season? And I'd like to take them, and I'm going to jump them forward at the end of the season and so where would you like to see yourself when this season is up? Where would you like to be? And once I get that answer, I say, okay, now let's put together a plan to go get there. Or sometimes it may not be, as realistic as, you know, they might be a little bit lenient. You know, they're not going as pushing themselves as far as they can. And sometimes they may, you know, push themselves over the cliff. But, you know, we know how that goes too. But, I mean, we want to be able to get them a realistic ending to their season, and then let's put together an overall plan to get you there. And not necessarily from, you know, all the swing things that you're talking about. You know, how much time are you going to spend on your short game? putting, chipping, pitching, the drills that you're going to use to continue to keep the consistency in the shots that you're going to play, Uh, the amount of time that you're going to put into each one of those segments. So, you know, creating a nice plan that they can go out so when they practice, they have specific things to do so it's not just going out and, you know, hitting a bucket of balls. And, you know, as I've always said, it doesn't take, you know, anything but a bucket of balls to lull you to sleep because there's so many sitting in there. You need to have a purpose to what you're doing. So, I like to give them, you know, an overall plan as to, you know, here's, here's where you want to end up. These are the things we're going to have to do to get you there, and then these segments are going to get you to be able in practice to take you so that at the end of the season you're in that spot. I think it's more, you know, there's always going to be mechanical work and swing work. That that goes without saying. But I think there's also has to be a dedicated time to just – practicing situations, techniques, and, you know, just being out there and and getting comfortable in some of those short shots. You know, most of the players that we see, 70% of their game is inside of 40 yards. And, you know, Mm -hmm. they want to sit up there and bomb drivers all day long. And if we can get them to understand the importance of, of inside of 40 yards and what it means to their score, I think overall encompassing that into a plan is going to make it you know, so much more beneficial for them overall to get to where they want to go. Pete, right? Do and John, similar. Uh, yeah, go, go ahead, ahead, John. Chad.
3: All, All right, I was just going to so add, so real I, quick. I, let, let, you, me just,
1: let me just add. Let me just add real quick. Let me just add real quick before you go in. What I what I want to do too with this is I want for us to really emphasize. Uh, and Pete, that was a, a great uh, a great analogy as well. Um, I, I really want for us to emphasize the point that what we want our students to do is to be able to go from season to season um, and it doesn't necessarily always have to be at the golf course There may be things that they can be working on even when they're at home that can help them keep everything in, in context and in place so that when they if for those that are maybe up in the northeast that have a little bit of a lull during the winter months and can't get out to a facility to work at there's things that they can be doing to make sure that when they come out it's not like again reinventing the wheel uh, john go ahead sorry
3: that's okay, uh, Pete. I do very similar. And to Ted's point, as far as what what's a plan for a lifetime, not just this season or next season, I'm always inquiring. Well, what are what are your other life priorities? And let's take an inventory of that. So when Ted was talking earlier about putting the clubs up and they're collecting some dust, what what is, why are they collecting dust? Is it just because of weather? or are you going hunting, or is it time to do something else within your life priorities? If I know that, and if you know that as my client, now all of a sudden to pick right back up where you left off in September or October, what's it going to take while you're hunting or while you're doing the other things that you do in the fall? I get a lot of people up. i got to give it up. It's football season. Well, great. As you're watching a football game, what are you doing to help your golf swing while you're up in that tree stand? What are you doing to help yourself with that golf swing? And people look at me like I'm nuts, but it is a more (laughs) holistic plan from the standpoint of view of, Hey, do you have something to squeeze with your fingertips while you're up in that, in that tree stand? It's going to take some time away and some tension away so you can squeeze a trigger very, very softly and slowly so you make your mark, but it's also developing finger strength that you don't lose that finger strength you gained over the summer playing a lot of golf, which helps you secure the golf club. So there's, there's an inventory part that I'll take right off the bat to not only say, okay, what's your goal by X time, but I'll also fast forward that two, three, four years not to find out commitment, you just used a very good term, dedicated. And I, I coined a term late in 2019 that I've been really trying to drive home to people. Are you dedicated to the discipline of your details? And that's a very easy phrase to use all year long, even if you're snowed in, even if you're shut in pandemically, even if you're up in a tree stand, if you're constantly watching football with everybody you can still be dedicated to your golf game and dedicated to your plan the real key is are you disciplined to your plan are you willing to take the small moments to do these things whether it's indoors and what a lot what a lot of people who come to me for coaching realize after the first couple of coaching sessions they look at me and go wow what you're giving me, I can actually do all year round. And I'm like, yes, that's correct. That's by design. Because I don't want them to put the clubs away and not have something to do. And I think that's super important for people like, like, Pete, you're in St. Louis. There's a time there you've got to shut down. And what are these people mm-hmm. doing when, when because of weather, you're shutting down? So that's, that's sort of where I'm coming from with, with a plan for life. That's, it's the inventory and it's understanding what you can do when you're not playing off to actually maintain skills. And that's really what you're talking about is the maintenance so you pick
1: mm-hmm. up
2: where you left off.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great, uh, great points as well. And Pete, coming back to you real quick, uh, you know, I think the other component as well, which sort of works together with all of this, is we, we, we always have to be reviewing the process. We always have to be taking stock, taking inventory of what 's going on. Quite often, we always hear, "Well, you know beginning of the season we come out and you know let 's do a review and let 's talk about it, and that 's great, and then we don 't do anything until maybe the end of the season if we 're lucky, some players will do that again. But I like to encourage people to sort of take stock all the way as they go along. Um, I want them to understand, okay, what is it that they're doing right? What are the areas that they're really gaining uh, some momentum in? Is it their short game is really starting to improve? And let's analyze that, obviously with your professional to help point out that, uh, you know, if you're working with somebody. Uh, if not, I suggest you do because uh, that's a good good way of, of getting it done in an accurate way and making sure that you're, you're sticking to a game plan uh, because they're going to help you do that. But I like to get pe- people reviewing things a lot because I think if, the more you keep it in your mind, the more you review and, and look at different aspects of your game, the more it's going to be fresh. If you're even in the off-season, even as, as John talked, you know, whether you're in a tree stand, you can go through things in your mind Uh, if necessary, um, you know, or whether you're watching a football game. Obviously, you want to have enjoyment, and I'm not saying that you have to be, you know, if it's a Super Bowl, you've got to spend the whole Super Bowl working on your golf game. Uh, But during the breaks, you can kind of be thinking about some things or what have you. Talk about that a little bit, Pete, if you wouldn't mind, about the review process and, and how we need to sort of incorporate that with students and how the students need to grapple onto that as well throughout the season, not just at the beginning and not just at the end, in order to carry that momentum from year to year
2: yeah, that's definitely something that you know I like to have my players do especially from evaluating each practice session, how did it go? Uh, mm-hmm. what was good, what was not good? what parts did you struggle on? Um, and so we can have that information for the next one uh, after you've played around, I mean what what so many people don't realize is when tournament players do most of their practicing after they play, and even if you don't have time to go to the range after you play, you should. Jot down a few notes of what happened while it's fresh in your mind, just Mm -hmm. like you said. After you get done playing, analyze what happened out there. Drench, what were your weaknesses? What parts can be better that we can then put into the current process and plan that we have that are going to enable us to get over those hurdles that you're struggling with on the golf course? And so, yeah, definitely. I mean, I like to do it, you know, each time I see them, you know, I always make sure that they can practice at least a couple of times before they come back to see me. And when I see them, I'm going to say, okay, where are we based on what we did last time? How far have you advanced? What are the things you know that you're doing? Well, what are you not doing? Well, let's look at where you are and let's provide this. Now moving forward to continue to move down the road step-by-step as we go. And I think that's important that they, they take the time to evaluate, you know, as you said, the good and the bad, because the bad things can, mm. can really assist you as well uh, in, in enabling you to know where you struggle. And, you know, so many times, too, when they go back and evaluate their golf games in their in their mind, they're thinking, gosh, I just drove it better. And then they go back and look at their game and say, boy, I spent so many shots around the greens, it was ridiculous. So it really wasn't, you know, the one area they thought it was. Um, and so those evaluations are important when you're done. And so, you know, take a minute. I I encourage all my players to have a little spiral notebook in their bag and just open it up and write down when you're finished, you know, what was good, what was not good. You know, what things uh, are are you really encouraged about? What things do you still need work on? And so that we continue to update the process, as you said, you know, each time not only that we get together but each time that you play so that the next time you're out there you, you can work on those items in between to make the next round even better.
1: Yep. And there's a key word that you threw in there. Uh, it, it is a process. You know, people don't realize this. You know, even the best players in the world, it's an ongoing process. They don't just all of a sudden get to, you know, tour level and stay that way. It's a continual, uh, almost like a workshop, if you will. They're always. You know, improving, they're always working on things. And, and John, a couple of points that you raised earlier that maybe you can just focus on a little bit more here uh, as we get ready to, to wrap up. And, and that is really two areas. And that is setting realistic goals um, and allowing yourself to focus on things that are attainable uh, for somebody at your level and then working with your professional, once you ascertain what those goals are and you've developed a plan, is whatever practice, whatever functions that you do moving forward, that you do it with a sense of purpose. And not just as we've talked about many times where you grab a you know, a bucket or so of range balls and you're just hitting ball after ball. Touch on that because that's an area too, I think, you know, the the practicing, how we really need to make sure it's with purpose, and also setting uh, attainable and reachable goals and realistic uh, for really where we're at at this particular moment. Go ahead.
3: So the the question here is which comes first, the chicken or the egg? And this to me, and I'm sure Pete and you, is <laughs> it's very obvious. It's what's obtainable and what's not because mm-hmm. you can't have purposeful practice if you're trying to obtain something that's not realistic. So Mm -hmm. I, I always tell my clients, feel lucky that I'm honest with you. Feel lucky that I'm transparent. Feel lucky that I will tell you point blank in my professional opinion, this is a obtainable goal versus right now this may not be an obtainable goal for whatever reason it is. Let's look at those obtainable goals and let's segment them. Let's peel multiple layers of the onion back. Let's not just shoot for the moon here. How do you get to Mm -hmm. the moon? It's varying stages, and you've got to get to that obtainable goal with even smaller goals along the way. So Mm -hmm. if it's, hey, let's get my ball speed to 120, I can't get my ball speed past 110. Well, the goal might be 120. The obtainable goal is let's get to 111, and people bypass mm-hmm. that. People just It just totally goes over their head. So when we're talking about, okay, my goal is 120, is it obtainable? Well, there's a fitness component. There's an equipment component. There's a practice component. There's a lot of components to that. Let's look at all the variables make sure the variables all add up, and if 120 is obtainable, now let's go, let's shoot for 111. And what is it going to take to get to 111? Now you're working into purposeful practice. Now you're working into, mm-hmm. hey, I've got a purpose to try to hit this ball a certain way, because if I do, I hit the center a little bit better, I'm more efficient, my, my smash factor, all these other things, they add up to, oh, wow, I just hit it 111. Great, you obtained a goal. How does that make you feel? Well, it makes them feel wonderful. Not only does it make them feel wonderful, it makes them feel motivated to do what? Let's reach the next attainable goal. What's that goal? 112. It's not 120. It's 112. And when right. you look at it that way, if you peaked at 120 and then couldn't hit 114 to save your life consistently, what good is that 120? What good is that? Right. So the obtainable goal, it's gotta be realistic and we look at it from many different perspectives and variables, but then once we have all that all those boxes checked, now let's make smaller goals in between and set up things in your practice to obtain those goals. Not once, but sustainably, longer period of time. It's those longer, sustainable goals. That actually gets you to the ultimate one. And I think Pete basically said it. I'll re-say it a different way. You reach 120, great. What's next? What's next? Let's just not Mm -hmm. rest on our laurels right there. What's next? Is it 125 or is it something else? I want to go 120 with my ball speed, but I want to get my smash factor better. What does that entail? It could mean that you're not swinging the club as fast. Maybe you're swinging it more efficiently. There's different ways of looking at it, but there's always got to be that next goal. And as you watch the Masters this week, to a person, they have a goal beyond just what they're doing this weekend. They have a goal beyond just what they're doing the next two months of their career or the next year of their career, even the next two years. They've always got something obtainable, realistic. All the variables and boxes are checked. And they're always motivated because they're reaching smaller goals to get to the bigger one.
1: Yeah, and and the other thing too, you know, Pete is what often happens is, you know, most professionals. And there is obviously a few rare occasion uh, examples, but you know, once pros find something that is working for them they're done in that area. Now, they might tweak things here and there, but they're not making big changes. Quite often what we will see with a lot of uh, amateur golfers is they'll go out one week and they'll play great. They're striking the ball solid, and the next week they get out there, they're not hitting it so solid. And instead of isolating what the problem is, they start rearranging everything. Now suddenly everything's not working right. Whereas it may not necessarily have been their grip or it may not have been their posture, it could have been one other area that they didn't see, but now they start changing their swing. Well pros don't do that. They know that there's going to be inconsistency throughout their round. So what can a player, what can an amateur do to avoid falling into that trap?
2: Well you know, I I think more than anything else, if if they're working along the lines of what we just talked about, that will keep them from falling into those traps. Um You know, when you don't play as well as as you would like to, there's no reason to go in and, you know, throw all the tools away and buy new tools and start over. That's not what happened. Right. You know, you have to evaluate each of the areas and figure out, you know, what's going on. You know, it could be, you know, from one round to the next, it could be chipping and putting that just added 15 shots to your round. You know, and so if you're tracking those things and you're looking at them and, you know, Paying attention and, as, as we said before, going through the process of looking at each of the areas, I think that will keep you from falling into the trap of trying to retool the whole, the whole nine yards. You know, you really don't have to do that. Um, you're always going to be working towards a common goal. And, and to me, I always give them, especially on the full swing, here's the impact that we're working towards. I'm not going to give you 15 things to continue to work on. We're going to continue to work at getting that impact. We're always working towards that goal. I always want them to work towards correct. Don't fight it incorrect. That'll destroy your game faster than anything else. Understand what correct is that you're trying to achieve and always work towards correct. They'll get there so much faster if they go down that road. But if they also understand throughout that process what parts of the game are giving them the pluses and minuses, I think, as, as I just said, they won't go back and retool it all. They'll continue moving forward. And, and you know, advancing along in each one of those lines and making the whole process better.
1: Right. Well said. And, John, finally, just one last point uh, as as we get ready to, uh, to end this uh, discussion. Um, what can a golfer do in between sessions with their professional? I'm talking about at the range. Um, but a lot of times, by the time they come out the next time, maybe it's two weeks in between a session that they might have with you. Um, Some might be less, but, you know, a lot of times it might be a couple of weeks. Um, And a lot of times by the time they come out, they've forgotten what they want to ask you. They're not really, what's a good way for your students or what do you try to encourage them to do to prepare for the next lesson? So they've come to you, they've taken a lesson today, you've worked through the things, you've maybe reviewed it as, as Pete had talked about. But what are some things that you want them to do for the next time out?
3: I definitely want them to journal what they're doing, but I also encourage them to text, email, call me. Uh, Just in the last six days, I've had 10 different clients from around the world text me about what they're doing with their practice. I was actually on the phone with a young man from Pete's Neck of the Woods in Springfield, Missouri, last night. He was really worried about, wind conditions and wanted to know how to hit a knockdown shot so he's literally got his earbuds in i'm talking to him i'm coaching him through it that was you know is that a norm not necessarily but i think when you find a great coach that's one of the hallmarks of a great coach they're accessible and you can bounce Mm -hmm. ideas off them when pete was saying hey write things down uh, learn from what you're doing what he's also saying is hey share those with me. And if you don't want to wait for two weeks or a month or whatever it is, and I probably won't see this client for at least another month, it's okay to text me, hey, how do I do this? Or I found out how to do this. I self-discovered this. What do you think of this? Uh, Having that open discussion with a really good coach is invaluable, so long as you're engaging with, with yourself first and self-discovering and not highly reliant on the coach to get it done for you, why not Oh, keep that communication open? Why not be able to write those notes down and text it to Pete or you or I? We're the email, hey, I had a great practice session last night, and I found out my no-man's land is 67 yards to 42 yards. Now we need to work on that. Great now I've got to note the next time you show up I've got to set up my distance control flags from seventy to thirty, and we got to go work on that so it's 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 a give and take it's not always our way it's all always your way, but it's a dialogue and in between those sessions, lifelong with a coach that you find that works for you, and I know Pete has a couple of clients like this, I know one personally it's it's okay to contact us. It's, it's no big deal because we're invested mm-hmm. in you almost as much as you're invested in yourself.
1: Right. Well said. All right, guys. Great discussion tonight on Coach's Corner. You guys did a fantastic job as always. I, really, uh, I hope that everybody uh, had an opportunity to really listen well and listen hard because there was a lot of good information tonight. And if you didn't and you came in partway through the conversation – at the end of the show, uh, go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash live, Scroll down to the on-demand section. You will see the recorded version of tonight's uh, show there, and you can listen to uh, the parts that you miss or listen to the in, in entirety. So I suggest you do that. Uh, very quickly, guys, uh, Pete and then John, the folks want to reach out, what's the best way they can communicate with you?
2: Again, thanks, Ted and John. Enjoyed it. Uh, they can find me at one of two places, com, plain and simple com. Either one will get you directly to me.
1: Perfect. And John?
2: Thanks, Pete. Always a
3: pleasure. Ted, always an honor. I very much appreciate the opportunity. It's real simple as, as, as Pete, John Hughes Golf. It's real simple, whether it's .com, uh, uh, a hashtag and at an ampersand, whatever it is, just look up John Hughes Golf. That's the way to find me. And I encourage you that if you're somewhere in the world listening to this podcast through InstantGolfImprovement.com, which is my virtual platform, you can get the same kind of coaching that you heard this evening. Thanks again, Ted.
1: All right. Appreciate it, guys. As always, thank you and have a great evening. And I'll see you next time on Coach's Corner. All right, that was John Hughes and Pete Buchanan, uh, part of the Coach's Corner panel discussion tonight, as always. I appreciate their thoughts and input, and I look forward to the next time they come on. All right, very quickly before I bring on tonight's special guest, here's a quick message from
0: Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. All
1: right. And again, as I mentioned earlier, uh, if you go to the Golf Tips Magazine's Facebook page, you will see the most recent post there. There is a special for Master's Week. Uh, save over 60% off of a digital subscription, digital only, not the uh, hard or printed version, but digital only for those that you like to view things on your tablet or phone. Uh, you can get a over 60% off right now for one year subscription Uh, You'll get all six issues for $2.99 or for a two-year subscription, $4.99. It's a great deal for Master's Week only. Uh, Offer expires on Championship Sunday, uh, this coming Sunday, so you want to take advantage of it. There's just a few more days left. Uh, You can go to the Golf Tips Magazine Facebook page, and you'll see the advertisement there in the last post, and you just open it up, and you'll see uh, that there's a link there to click on, and you can order uh, for yourself, or you can do it uh, as a gift if you want as well. Gift it to somebody. Maybe you already got a subscription, or uh, you can do a couple. Uh, do one for yourself and do one for uh, that other special golfer in your family. All right, I'm very excited to welcome back this evening's guest. Uh, he's been on the show a number of times. Of course, I'm talking about Joshua Jacobs, uh, founder of TJ Premier Golf, uh, and he is uh, was named by golf magazine as one of the top 40 most influential people in golf under 40 and was recognized as one of golf's innovators by golf Inc. Uh, he served on PJ of America's national boards, uh, the Southern California PJs foundation advisory board and the player development board. Uh, also the world golf foundation advisory board and the USTA's national schools committee. Uh, In addition to golf, Jacobs also created the same franchise model for tennis in partnership with the United States Tennis Association, and most recently launched an additional six sports to TJ's product lifting. So without further hesitation, let me bring on this evening's special guest, Joshua Jacobs, founder of T J Premier Sports. Joshua, good evening. How are you?
4: (laughs) How are you? It's been a while. I'm doing
1: well. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, you were on... uh, Uh, towards the end of last season and lots of things going on. I know we talked about uh, all the stuff going on with COVID and and whatnot, but it's a new year and we're moving forward and things are there. Believe it or not, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, And uh, we're all excited, especially for golf. Golf has done really well this last season overall and uh, a few glitches here and there, but I think we're starting to get back into uh, some good territory here. So, uh, List for, for those that have never uh, heard of TGA, just very briefly give them an explanation of what it's about, explain a little bit about the franchise opportunity, and at the end we'll, we'll give them uh, an opportunity at the end of the show to go and check out on the website for themselves to get a little bit more detail. But we'll just give an overview of TGA.
4: Well, TGA was formed, uh, man, it was almost 20 years ago. And uh, we we franchised the concept uh, about 15 years ago, and, and the idea behind it is just to provide access to kids who uh, prevention <laughs> who otherwise would never have had acting it available to everyone, and we do that through after school programs uh, that are done right on school campuses at community centers uh churches temples it really doesn't matter we created a curriculum that can be done indoors or outdoors a small space large space and and then we create that you know initial kind of bottom of the pyramid of the player pathway so it's very introductory programs building a passion for for uh you know for golf uh, by these students and their families and then you get them to a golf course we we partner with a number of golf courses um to run camps and clinics and parent-child and family events. And it became a, a, a business model. And it started in L.A., uh, for those listeners who, who remember. And and then it, it branched out nationwide. You know, we're in a little over 30 states now. And we'll hit our, our millionth kid here uh, at the end of the year where, uh, where they'll register. And it's, it's really exciting. I, I'm in complete agreement with you that uh, golf is coming back. Uh, we're seeing that. Mm-hmm. I, of, the, of, our, of our franchises that are running programs, uh, they, they're either almost all sold out of camps or they're completely sold out of their camps already for the summer. And, and the demand has never been higher for the sport. So it's, it's pretty exciting. I think that a number of, of adults have started playing, and that's trickled down to the kids. And, you know, we've made it COVID safe our programs were, were mm-hmm. already kind of covid safe to start we had a station based learning as it was but you know now now we really have a great story to tell and the demand is out there and 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 we're starting to see some some real excited kids and families who, who 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 want to get into it
1: yeah and and let me just to to put things in a little bit of perspective for those again that are maybe not familiar you know as you were alluding to you know back in 2003 you know you launched Uh, Basically, you were in 12 Los Angeles elementary schools creating the first after-school golf enrichment curriculum uh, of its kind. Uh, And in 2006, just a few short uh, years later, the demand grew for the program, and that's when you really uh, sort of scaled it uh, for a uh, franchise-based company, and you've expanded. And today, TJ uh, delivers these introductory after-school programs, camps, and uh, Parent child events and leagues at over thirty four hundred locations nationwide, so a lot of growth has happened in those twenty years. Would you agree
4: yeah you know the the business has certainly scaled very steadily um, for a number of reasons but it's it 's exciting to see and we you know it 's crazy to think about what we 're now just starting to hear stories of these kids that started out um, you know, especially as we when we went nationwide, starting to hear stories that they're becoming coaches of our programs. So these mm-hmm. these kids who took our programs, or were introduced to golf in the schools or at a golf course, are now becoming coaches of our programs. In fact, there was a there was a great. In addition to that, there was a great uh, stat that I was presented with about the girls uh, high school. Uh, championships in Michigan. And we have, we have a very big program in Detroit. Our franchise owner, Dave Robinson, does an amazing job out there. But almost 40% of the participants in the girls' high school state championships had some affiliation with TGA. So wow. it, it's nice to see everything come full circle, not only from the competitive aspect of it, but also from the community service aspect of it. And uh, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's really special.
1: Well, it's nice to you know, you know, it's nice, like you said, to see numbers like that, and obviously they're going to continue to grow because you guys do have a great business model. I mean, you've you've been doing it for 20 years, as you said, and you're you're really getting to the heart of of golf. You know, we've talked about you and I o- over the many shows that we've done together uh, about really growing the game, and it really starts at this level. It's not you know the 50 and 60 year olds. I mean, obviously. There's some new coming into the game, as they did last year, that maybe have never played before. But the truth of the matter is, it's the junior market, and it's getting these youngsters introduced to the game. Um, unlike many other sports out there that is typically in the curriculum of schools, um, golf is one that's you know, a little bit more isolated than some. So unless they're introduced to it at a very early age, they're not as likely to grapple onto it unless they have somebody within their family. So you're really feeling a, a, a niche, if you will, in the market that is really was long overdue. Uh, there certainly has been junior programs around you know, for playing and, and so forth, but again, they were typically with families who already had some sort of exposure to golf and that, but for many others, as you said uh, earlier, that didn't have maybe some of the same advantages, you're now introducing it for them in a, in a whole new way uh, that's allowing them to sort of take part and be introduced to, to a great game. And I know you, you have some other things besides golf. We could talk about that as well. I want to talk about um, something that you guys just recently launched, again, continuing that sort of education theme a little bit, and that is the college uh, golf experience, or CGE, as we'll call it for short. Uh, that seems to be the next level uh, in your player uh, pathway model. Tell us a little bit about that.
4: Yeah, it's something we're really excited about, and you know, we were afforded a great opportunity to kind of dive into – Similarly, what you were just discussing, you know, TGA certainly focuses on that bottom of the pyramid, the introductory level programs, and kind of goes into that next level of recreational camps. But CGE is a little bit different where it's for, you know, a little bit more accomplished players who are, you know, aspiring to, to play collegiate golf. And, and our whole base creating unique and transformational opportunities for these junior golfers certainly at all stages of development, but but more with an emphasis on the aspiring college student athletes. And it's all about providing juniors unprecedented access to college coaches. And there's really not a lot of ways to do that because at Mm -hmm. tournaments that these kids are playing in um, coaches aren't allowed to engage with them and their family. They can really only observe. So, to give these kids an opportunity, uh, these these accomplished juniors an opportunity to engage with the coaches in a camp setting, uh, understand the culture of of the team, be able to tour the the college or the university, that is, to me, extremely important in a junior golfer's decision of of where they Mm -hmm. play. And so providing that opportunity, I think, is going to be key to the, uh, to the player pathway.
1: Well, and, and here's something, you know, as you were saying that I was thinking um, uh, about this, because quite often, I mean, I've, I've talked to um, a lot of different people who, uh, both parents and, and kids, who want to have that, that college golf experience, but the truth of the matter is they really don't know where to go. They don't know where to turn uh, they have a lot of unanswered questions. They don't even know where to start. And it sounds like to me, and, and certainly correct me if I'm wrong, that really what you're doing here is, is twofold. One, you're, you're helping to educate uh, the players and, and helping them develop towards that goal of you know, you know, getting into potentially a, a college program, but you're also making it a little bit easier by the sounds of it for a lot of coaches and for the recruiting process, because now the kids are going to be a little better educated in understanding what the process that's involved. Is, is that correct? And, and maybe you can expand a little bit more on that, how that's going to sort of help tie the two together.
4: Yeah, I think that what we're going to do is, is really impact coaches um, and, and, and the recruiting, and, and we're going to help them and their programs work. We're committed to building value for college coaches, and there's certainly a number of ways to do that and that we plan to do that. Most coaches don't have the time to run their own camps or, you know, in some ways start their own business. And so what we want to provide is, is expert camp management and position these coaches to take more control of the market, derive new revenue, lower their expenses to a certain degree, and increase the value of their brand and the institution for where they coach at. And, and you know, coaches can generate revenue for themselves at camp. They can engage with the juniors to determine, like I mentioned before, if their personality mm-hmm. along with their game is a cultural fit for their program. And, and they really get that opportunity to not only do that, but provide important insights into the team's performance expectations. And juniors will get a really good sense pretty quickly, I think, whether – you know, those performance expectations or the, the level of the team, whether that, that student is going to be looking at, you know, high-end, a high-end D1 school or they're going to be looking at a mid-to-lower right. D1 school or a D2, D3 school, et cetera, you know, all are fantastic. Playing collegiate golf, there's there's nothing like it, uh, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fortunate enough to do so, but, uh, you know, the, these experiences that the juniors can have with coaches can prove to be invaluable, yeah, and, and you know,
1: I'm a firm believer, you know, the more that, that we can educate ourselves in whatever capacity, whether it's golf or life in general, the better off that we're going to be, the more doors that uh, become open. And and, and students, uh, particularly young girls now, are starting to recognize the advantage um, and the opportunities that golf in general is opening up, but particularly getting involved, we're seeing more and more scholarships being made available for uh, you know, young girls to, to play on, on golf teams now. Obviously, there's still a long ways to go, uh, but we're seeing that. And so I, I want to sort of sidetrack just for a second here and, and something I was thinking about earlier when you were we were talking about, uh, you know, some of the participation in TGA programs that you're finding out later, you know, was you know 40% of, of some of the participants uh, went through the programs. Are you seeing, what is, give us an idea of the breakdown as best you can of male to female ratio? How many uh, you know, percentage-wise in going through the programs are typically female and, and what is male? And are you starting to see sort of an uptick, if you will, in more female per, uh, participants coming in through TJ's programs?
4: Absolutely, we, we are um, 58% male and 42% female. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty wow. good ratio. And, you know, with TGA, the idea of of making golf available and accessible to everyone, certainly you have Mm -hmm. that maybe it's an end goal, maybe it's not. But that college scholarship opportunity certainly does loom, especially if you have a junior that shows some talent. So Mm -hmm. I I 100 percent agree with you that that there is more and more emphasis on the, uh, you know, on the girls and women's game. Um, there, you know, let's look at the caliber of player on the LPGA tour. I mean, it's outstanding and the yeah. opportunity to, to have that collegiate experience is, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it's invaluable. So we, you know, at PGA the opportunity to introduce that game, introduce our game to, or I like to call it a sport, um, into, you in, <laughs> And build that passion for the uh, for for the women is is outstanding, and it really can provide them the education of where they can take the sport and where they can take their passion for for for, for playing it.
1: You know, it's interesting. Uh, you know that you said that because. Uh, one of the things that I, I do now or have been doing for a number of years, uh, you know, in addition to doing this program, Golf Talk Live, on Thursdays, I have another program called the Women of Golf that I do Tuesday mornings. And um, every Tuesday that obviously following uh, a Symmetra Tour event, uh, we, uh, my partner on that show, uh, Cindy Miller, who's an LPGA professional, we host the winners each week from the Symmetra Tour. And awesome. it's amazing – yeah, it's amazing how these young ladies, how together they are. I mean, they're not only great golfers. In fact, some of them make me sick because when they start talking about their driving distance and stuff like that. In fact, Cindy and I were talking about it the uh, previous week. We had a young lady on, and I think she was averaging like 285 yards, and you know, she's like five foot four or something like that. And I'm six four, and I'm struggling to hit that now. But but, anyways, that's another story. But um, you know well, these no, young it's, ladies. It's, it's are...
4: the, the, the Metro Tour. The Metro Tour. You know, yes. you, you, you look at what these what these women are doing and how they're grinding to get to obviously the LPGA Tour. That there's so many amazing stories that come out of those experiences and those events. I, I know that uh, you know there's a there's a prominent prominent guy on Twitter. I I think it's called Monday Q info, but the stories that that he tells of these players and their journeys to, to make the PGA tour, it's just, it's just, it's just awesome. And it's a great read. I, I, I never got into it and it's, it's not a, it's not a road that I, I chose to go down, but, Certainly, have the greatest of respect for what these athletes are trying to accomplish, and for you to support the Symmetra Tour winners like that is is just is wonderful.
1: Yeah, we really enjoy having them, and you know they are are so humble and and whatnot as well, and they just really, you know, they really have it together, and they're very open and honest about their journey. I mean, obviously, some you know are kind of riding high when when things are going well, and Some of them have even at points throughout their career have thought, you know, even a couple of years into their career, they're thinking, you know, I I must be crazy doing this. You know, things aren't going right. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're coming out as winners because they've changed their mindset around. And now all of a sudden they've, you know, they've developed a whole new thing. So, and and a lot of it, they go back to their earlier times growing up and involvement in junior golf programs. And who knows, there may be some that are on, uh, you know, in the winner's circle coming out of the Symmetra Tour here in the U.S., that may have gone through uh, programs uh, like yours. So, uh, you know, that'd be an interesting thing to to follow up at some point. But uh, I want to ask you something. You received an endorsement from the Golf Coaches Association of America. Um, How did that relationship come about?
4: Well, I think that it's critical to get endorsed by coaches who who have such a significant impact on junior golfers and, and who spend their time educating and guiding the lives of collegiate athletes you know for me it was seeing the value that they bring and being able to marry that with providing a services that a service that they didn't already have it didn't exist and i began talking about it with with greg gross the ceo of the gca quite some time ago and he was very supportive of 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 what i was i was envisioning and and what the track record was with tga and the value proposition that we could provide for juniors and their families and You know, it it, it was about, as you you mentioned before, creating a niche, right? So never before Mm -hmm. has a camp management company catered specifically to individual coaches in their institutions. And so we we could bring somebody to the table for their members that hadn't been done before. And, you know, that's going to be part of our mission and part of the events that we run. But, you know, with my background, I wanted to provide this service to coaches and juniors. And, been a great you know partnership so far and it, you know obviously it was just announced a few weeks ago and we're all waiting for the ncaa to uh give the green right. light for camp to come back but um you know we look forward to building this partnership with them and it's it's just a long time coming and uh, you know greg and his team are amazing to work with and their members are are truly guiding these kids and and their decisions and, and their futures in golf
1: Yeah. Um, You know, there's so many opportunities that, you know, are available now, um, you know, through golf, Uh, not just playing, um, not just teaching, but other areas in business as well that golf really works hand in hand in. Uh, So this is a great opportunity for these youngsters to get involved in, in a program like CGE, because again, that's another stepping stone. So before you tell us what sort of happens typically and or what is going to happen in a, a CGE camp, uh, what went into <laughs> formulating the details? And the said, yeah, because I'm going to get you to walk through a little bit of it. Uh, you obviously had to put a lot of thought into what was going to be, you know, w- what you wanted the camp experience to be. Uh, and obviously there, you know, there was a temptation to, to pack as much as possible, uh, you know, in there uh, because you want it to be a lasting uh, impression to these uh, youngsters. So, what went into it? You know, what was sort of the thought process that going into you know setting up the agenda, and then give us an idea what you know for maybe parents that are listening out there, that are kids that are interested in golf, that this might be a next step for them. What can they
4: expect at, at uh,
1: a CGA camp?
4: Well, our number one goal was for juniors to get unprecedented access to coaches and vice versa. That's really the key is to is to create that that relationship and the you know some transparency. And and we worked with uh, the GCAA uh, and and their members, the coaches, to really refine an inviting camp experience that fits for all juniors. Now, again, I think that, you know, there's going to be an emphasis on the players that, that, you know, are aspiring to play collegiate golf, but that doesn't mean that, you know, a junior who's just starting to make his way into the scene uh, can't get a lot out of a camp, and and the, I I would venture to guess if the earlier you were to explore a camp like this, the the easier that player pathway and education to education in the golf industry will will be. But couple all that with the junior feedback that we're getting and what they want to experience at camps, you know, we we feel like that product is is going to be a winner. And you know, a typical CGE camp, we're looking at again, catering to each stage of a golfer's development, you know, including instruction and educational seminars related to playing collegiate golf and and helping juniors understand uh, expectations and how to achieve their goals. And that's, you know, whether they're a highly skilled junior player who's, Looking to build a relationship with a coach, or you're an 11-year-old player who's played a few a few junior tournaments, and and you have goals that you want to set, and you want to do that with a collegiate coach, those are all fantastic experiences, and that's what we we want them to have is a first-class experience, and regardless of the playing ability. But if you really want to drum it down um, into a into a you know a lower level, we're we're going to have instruction um, instruction-based events, contests, skills on-course practice rounds and tournament round simulations with the coaches, um, seminars, more specifically, what coaches are looking for in players, how to separate yourself as a recruit, stay in the life of college players, uh, Q&A discussions for juniors and their parents. And, you know, hopefully there'll be some time. Like you said, there's going to be a lot crammed in, mm-hmm. but hopefully there'll be some time sure. for campus and these golf facility tours. I mean, these – these colleges, uh, these universities, and, the, and the, the golf facilities that they have or they're building are, are amazing. And I've been uh, lucky enough to be able to tour a few of them over the past six to six to nine months. And the experience that these, these juniors can have at one of these camps is going to be out of this world.
1: You know, I, I think, you know, when you talk about camps, and you think of the idea of, you know, going, it's, it's a much different experience when I think of camps and it was, you know, this was a dumping ground, you know, years ago for for parents to say, well, I'm going to send my kid to camp, but, you know, and, and it was fun, don't get me wrong, it was a good experience. But, you know, you've got something here with, with really what you're doing that, you know, has the word fun in it. It really is a lot of fun and not just because I enjoy and play golf uh, and teach golf, but, Um, you know, I understand the core value that golf brings to not only an individual, but even to a community. Um, So when you now are about to reach a a huge milestone of, you know, reaching its, you know, your millionth kid, if you will, um, what's going to be your vision moving forward for growth, you know, over the next, say, five to 10 years? What are you looking at? Obviously, you want to continue to grow, but in your mind, based on what you're, you know, bringing together with all of your stats and things, where do you see things happening? What do you envision the growth to be over the next, you know, five to ten years?
4: I I, I believe that golf is positioned for significant success and growth um, over the next decades. Uh, I, I think that you know, COVID was a very hard time for everybody, and and what what it did for the golf industry was bring to light, this amazing game, this amazing sport that could benefit people in so many ways. I mean, it brought, it gave a chance. Uh, golf gave people a chance to come together during a time when you couldn't. And so right. I think that because of the rise in rounds and number of players who were uh, were either new to the game or coming back to the game because of the environment out there, there is great opportunity for success uh, in, in the next decade, and I see that across all levels of the industry. For us, you know, from from TGA's standpoint, the the opportunity to cultivate that demand. And to add more programs, um, add additional age groups, is going to be huge. And we're already seeing that. We actually are, are working with a few, not a lot because uh, most schools are still closed, but in um, the schools that we're working with, the demand is so intense. And, and we're used to running one program a week per school that now you're starting to see two to three programs a week that are that are selling mm-hmm. out in a matter of hours because of the demand for right. it um so you know i think that demand will then continue on not only through the after school programs but also through the camps and the events and the ability to get families together you know as it relates to to cge um you know i think that there's a lot of factors that are going to go into making a success and Number one, it's it's to make the camps essential to the recruiting process. And that's not going to be an easy feat. Um, I still believe that, you know, these camps can provide this access to coaches and and really giving these players an understanding of what's out there and in front of them. But most importantly, I think it's going to be important to – change the mentality um, that these coaches, regardless of how good a player is, that they can have significant impact on a junior's life and their golfing career. And and mm-hmm. that, to me, is is so very important. I think we all had in golf, we all looked up to, you know, either your parent or your professional or somebody in golf that you watched on TV, that you read about, you always had yep. that person that you, that you could look up to and that you envied and mm-hmm. that you, you wanted to be like, et cetera. And, you know, these college coaches are in such a great position to impact these lives. And, mm-hmm. and that to me is the most important right now. We, we see that in TGA at more of an introductory level. Um, some in the recreational level but you know, you're talking about the college coaches impacting kids at all levels obviously including the highest uh, the highest junior golf level for both both boys and girls so you know I, I it's about it's about high value proposition and experience for the juniors and their family making sure like you said it's fun but they have a great time and they get a lot out of it and CGE is going to be all about opening doors to new partnerships and places to host camps. It's, it's going to be another step in the pathway. And a place where I see a great opportunity for growth is that camps don't have to be one and done, that there's an mm-hmm. opportunity to create a camp pathway. Obviously that the tournament pathway for kids is uh, for juniors is, is very it's it's very steadfast, right? The, uh, everybody wants to make it to the AJGA tour, um, the Junior Golf Tour, yep. and so the right. camp pathway is a little, it's a little bit different, right? There's really no there's mm-hmm. really no next step in the camps, and I believe that there's a great opportunity to create that, not not necessarily for the best players, but for the best kids, and to provide yeah. unique and transformational opportunities for them. So I think. I think our industry is well-positioned, and I'm excited to see the growth.
1: You know, what's interesting, you know, really about what you do, um, Joshua, is, is this. You don't just feel a void, you know, by opening uh, access to golf, but you actually educate, um, really, people about the game. And, and I'll explain to you what I mean. You know, when most people turn on their television and they see – some sort of representation of golf. It's always at a a very high level. That's their exposure to golf. If unless they have you know somebody in their family that's introduced them. But for most kids out in the street, if they turn on, they see the PGA, they see the LPGA, they see uh, you know uh, um, a very high level of golf. And the first thing that you know, and I've talked to a lot of kids, and the first thing goes through my you know, this isn't for me. I, I can never be the next Tiger Woods, or or I could never be somebody like an Annika Sorensen or a Michelle Wee. So for them, it, it, it's kind of not attainable. But really what TGA does is shows them that you may or may not ever aspire, you may not even want to become you know, the next Michelle Wee or what have you, uh, but this is a game that you can enjoy too. Because one of my, the criticisms I have about golf in general is that the impression that we give is that it's a very exclusive sport and not an inclusive sport in other words not everybody feels like they can be part of it and it's not just monetarily and so forth but it's just the fact at the level the representation that we see in media is of that highest level you've now bursted through the glass ceiling if you will and you're saying no that's not really what golf's about golf is something that everybody can enjoy and everybody has an opportunity to aspire to whatever level they want to aspire. Now, obviously some are going to go on and and be great golfers and others are going to find other paths. uh, But at the very core of it, they're being introduced to this game that otherwise they may not have because it is not in the general population as much as I said earlier about other sports. You've now opened that door for the last 20 years and and I say this with all sincerity, you need to be commended for that because that's something that has not happened for many, many decades in golf, and you've done it in 20 years, and you're continuing to do it. So kudos to you for that.
4: Well, certainly appreciate that. There, there definitely is a difference um, <clears throat> between the recreational-slash-amateur game in golf than the professional True. game. I think professionals provide a... a a large value to the to Mm -hmm. the amateur recreational players i mean they give them something similar to what i'm saying with college coaches and how you know the amount of knowledge and and experience they can get from the college coaches it's very similar to recreational and amateur players as it relates to the professionals i mean there's there's two different games, and then you look at what happened today at sure. Augusta, and clearly uh, Justin mm-hmm. Rose is playing a different game than every other professional out there. who was playing a different course <laughs> or something, right? But uh, right, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's there's a lot of opportunity in golf, and you never know what what you can what you can glean from it. If when you mm-hmm. introduce a child or, or even an adult to the sport, you never know where they're going to take it. Whether they're going to become the next CEO of Callaway, whether they're going to be managing uh, a Top Golf location, whether they're going to be, you know, uh, working with the PGA of America, the LPGA. There's so many opportunities out there, and let alone the amount of players that we can that we can get into the sport. So. The idea here, you know, with TGA is obviously, you know, expand that base, get as many people in, get them into the player pathway. Along the way, they will be impacted by a number of people and shown different branches that they can take based on their passion. Um, and 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 you know, with CGE, it's a little bit different. These are kids and families who, for the most part, they have an idea of where they want to go. They're not really completely sure how to get there yet or where their true opportunity lies, but there are people out there, namely the coaches, who can help them navigate and to be able to provide Mm -hmm. them access to that is, is, is a great service, not only to the juniors and their families, but also to the coaches.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly right.
4: And, 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 and
1: just to further the point a little bit, you know, there even even if they don't get into the golf industry, golf can open so many doors. There's so many business opportunities that golf uh, can really help because golf is, uh, as I've said many many times, um, really can mimic life in so many ways. I mean, you know, when we get out and we're challenged by some of the things that we're faced with on the golf course, whether it be bunkers or water or what have you, you know, we have to you know, really put on our – We really have some more than others, but you, know, you really have to put on your thinking cap to, to sort of navigate some of those challenges you may be faced with. Well, that can help strengthen that, that part of you uh, in your everyday life as well because we're faced in many challenges in everyday life. So you know, they kind of work hand-in-hand in, hand in that. And I found something interesting as I was reading through the notes preparing for tonight – And, you know, something that I I think is really stands out and why I said what I did a few minutes ago is, you know, roughly 70% of TGA's participants and their parents have never played golf before, uh, becoming part of your organization involved with with TGA. So this really is very interesting because we have a lot of millennials, uh, you know, you're bringing a lot of them into the sport. So why do you think all of a sudden they're becoming attracted? You know, young parents particularly are becoming attracted. What is it about this game that they're starting to say, hey, you know what, hey, there's something here.
4: Well, I think there's a, it's kind of backwards in the sense that in the past, I believe that we thought parents brought kids to the sport, juniors to the sport. Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing is 70% of our participants, like you said, approximately that, were getting the kids in before their parents. And so because golf is a time-consuming activity, it's an individualistic sport, but it can be enjoyed by everybody together, that they start to engage their parents, and their parents almost inherently become involved with golf. I mean, that was the challenge that we always had from the beginning of PGA, especially when it came to scaling it in the franchise model, is, yes, we have something unique, but you have to create a business model behind it that's profitable, that can, you know, hit every single aspect of a community. And, you know, we did that not only in the affluent areas through parents and and kids paying for programs that they attended, but also through a 501c3 foundation that we can, you know, serve the under-resourced in the communities that we're in. But there's such a great opportunity um, to get these parents and these kids together, and that's really never been thought of. And mm-hmm. we, we, we feel like we've been successful in that. We have a long way to go. We still are, you know, we've still, we been doing it 20 years, but we, we, we still are getting better and learning every day. But the value proposition had to be there. Otherwise, we wouldn't have you know, almost 100 franchises in TGA and provide that great value proposition. <clears throat> you know, what's really interesting
1: is when you look at, you know, what you were just talking about, typically, like I know from my own experience, I mean, I got into golf uh, or learned to play golf at a very young age. I was, uh, um, technically, I was uh, seven years old when I really kind of had a little bit of an understanding. I, my father taught me in uh, when I was younger than that, started to show me a little bit. But obviously I had to get to about seven before I could kind of comprehend everything. But, you know, he introduced me to the game. It wasn't the other way around. And you're exactly right in your analogy is now we're starting to see, um, you know, as more juniors get involved, uh, just like with many other, as I said earlier, with many other sports, you know, if your kid goes to soccer camp or they go to, you know, hockey camp or whatever it is, um, you know, the parents are going to watch and support them. Um, So golf has really been kind of a little behind the eight ball for a long time with that because, you know, there wasn't as many junior programs out there for, uh, you know, again, golf being a little bit more difficult than some of the others um, and more challenging and obviously a little pricier as well. Uh, You didn't see a lot of that happening, but you're really doing things, like you said, kind of backwards is you're bringing the kids in. They're enjoying it. They're relishing this experience, and the parents want to be involved. They want to not just come and support and watch them play, but they're saying, hey, you know what, this is something, uh, you know, it it takes a few hours. If we go on a trip, if there's a golf course nearby, you know, we can go and enjoy this in some capacity as a family now. So it's another activity that brings them together, and, you know, this is something, again, which is nice, uh, unlike some other sports where, you know, when you get a little bit older... You kind of have to shelf that because the body just can't do it. Golf, you can be well into your, you know, your golden years and still be able to play with some regularity. So, you know, I really like the fact that what your business model is doing is is really helping to strengthen the bond in families by getting the kids involved at a very early age and then developing up through your various programs. Um, and obviously, it's working because. You're getting that next generation of parent uh getting involved as well right
4: absolutely um there certainly is a great opportunity for that uh it's uh it's a labor of love but it's also the ability to as i keep mentioning value proposition you know what what golf fights against is not it it fights against other sports it fights against these families' time and so yes be able to show them where you can go with it, be able to show them how fun it can be, how family-oriented it can be, that is a, I mean, that can last forever. So, yes, it's one mm-hmm. of the few lifelong sports. And I, I share your story. And one of the reasons why I decided to start College Golf Experience is I, I was introduced to golf when I was three. And it was by my grandparents. Yep. My parents didn't play, and they actually never went on to playing. And I was, I was lucky enough to be a student athlete at you know Emory University and play play collegiate mm-hmm. golf there in Atlanta. And I was I was fortunate enough to pick the right school and had this amazing experience. But as a child of parents who didn't play and didn't understand the recruiting pathway at all, that, that right. motivated me to start this new endeavor and, and to improve on that and enhance the process for, for youth athletes and parents and college coaches to engage in an environment that's going to maximize value for everyone and create a more efficient pathway for kids to not only necessarily make the best collegiate decision for themselves, but also to see the opportunities in, in golf. And you're hundred percent right that it's not, whether you're in the golf industry or not, um, golf yep. has tremendous value in business and building relationships and mm-hmm. life teaching life lessons and that can go a long way in this world
1: you know I've had a, a number of guests um, surprisingly over the years on, on my show this is my ninth season so I've been doing it for a little while and I've had a few that have come on who had never played golf before but were in corporate America You know, whether it be a large bank or what have you they work with and one of the things that they had said to me, which was really interesting, was that you know they saw every you know Monday morning you know the group were coming in, and you know some of them had played golf on the weekend they 'd be talking about that, and they really didn 't understand, and you know kind of felt it like if we all do when're you know somebody's got a great story to share, and you, you, you kind of wish you were part of it and interestingly enough, they took the initiative to reach out to some of these other folks and said, hey, you know what, I don't, I've never played before, but what do I need to do to, you know, to kind of jump in here? And surprisingly enough, each and every one of them, uh, as I said, they, they went on to get in the golf business, not necessarily as teach professionals, but offer different programs and that to introduce others into golf. A light switch went on and they recognized the value, as, as you said, as a business tool that golf provided them that they never had or never even thought of before, because they didn't grow up in a golfing family or a golfing community, um, but it was something that just happened to catch wind of at the, you know, around the old water cooler, as they say. And now all of a sudden, it's impacted their lives in such a, a different way. And really, it sounds to me that you've put together the building blocks to work towards that um, with not only juniors, but now the next level with, you know, into the collegiate areas, um, which is, again, going to further that agenda a little bit along at a, at a later point, giving them other opportunities that they might not have – that obviously you experienced – that they may not have had the opportunity to do. Um, yeah, you've I now love, opened that door I for them as well. The
4: idea, sorry, sorry, Ted. I, I love nope, that's I good. love the idea with TGA that with the franchise model, you are compensated basically on how Big. So the more the more yep. kids and families that you get involved in getting them in the player pathway and signing up for events and building their passion, the more money you're going to make. And that's the mm-hmm. same as a lot of industries. But you know, in the past, there hasn't been a business opportunity for people to do that. Um, you know, right. in the past, it was well, you need to go to a golf course to learn, and then. The You know, It was also told me when I first got started, ironically, that kids shouldn't have to pay to learn, even though in every other sport, they're paying to participate, they're paying for coaching, et cetera, et et cetera. So we just kind of made it more available and accessible and created the unique value proposition for parents to not saying no to getting involved or to signing their kid up for a lifelong sport. So Mm. I if we don't take that lightly, you know, it's all, there is some pressure on us to be honest uh, because we are their first exposure to the sport and we take it it very seriously that it's important to make it fun and build their passion, et cetera. And, you know, TGA is wonderful for all of those reasons. CGE is a little bit, is a little bit different, right? They already have a passion for it. They're already playing. Now it's a matter of, okay, where can you take this? Let me let me get you connected to coaches and other people who can show you the way, and let's talk about your goals. Let's talk about where you want to take your game, and and we can help facilitate that happening. That to me is yep. both of them are exciting for different reasons.
1: Yeah, and like I said, it's a, it's another stepping stone uh, or another rung in the ladder, if you will. Uh, of their journey uh, in, in along this game, so as we wrap up, uh, Joshua, for the folks that are maybe interested uh, in two areas uh, in TGA, uh, let them know what the web- as I mentioned it towards the end, we 're going to let them know the website that they can go to to get more information, if they want to participate in some of the programs, and also, I know that you have access there if they want to reach out. if somebody that's interested in maybe a franchise opportunity, uh, they can maybe contact through there as well. So where do they need to go? Uh, if they want to uh, get involved or want to reach out and learn more about TGA.
4: Well, TGA is playtga.com. For those who might be interested or know others who are interested in the franchise opportunity and getting involved in your local community, it's uh, franchisetga.com. And for College Golf Experience, uh, we're nearly launched. would love to hear people's feedback. If you've got it, please send it to me. Um, But uh, it's collegegolfx.com. And you'll see a lot of information on the website. Camps are not up yet because I think, as I mentioned okay. earlier, the NCAA will be coming out uh, next week, actually, with uh, with the decision whether camps can start in June or August. So we have to wait right. for them to make that decision before sure. uh, coaches can schedule their camps. But uh, it's it's exciting. It's becoming very real, and the partners and. And GCAA, I couldn't be more thankful to be with them in this endeavor. And I think we're really on to something special here. And I'm just, I'm proud to be part of it.
1: Yeah, like I said, I think it's great. Uh, This is an area that really will help not only the students have a better understanding uh, and the kids in general have a better understanding of, of what opportunities can be made available. But as I said earlier, you know, there's a lot of parents out there that don't know what steps to take or where to go, and you know, are looking for answers as well. So obviously, uh, this is going to help uh, you know uh, guide them as as best as they can uh, in that in that avenue and that route as well. So I think uh, again, kudos to you for, and your team for for putting this all together. Well, Joshua, as always, it's a pleasure, um, and I always enjoy having you on because I always learn something new. And I really, uh, I can't emphasize this enough. I really appreciate what you do for golf um you know there's a lot of great people in this industry there's a lot of great businesses in this industry um but you have a a uniqueness in what you're doing and i think this is something that really has been a huge boost in golf and the fact that you've been doing it now for 20 years and still going strong uh is a testament to uh your vision and uh and and the others that uh uh, are part of the franchise group and, and so forth. So kudos to all of you, but particularly to you, Joshua, for uh, really spearheading this and, and getting it off the ground. Uh, you've done a fantastic job, and I look forward to hearing more about the college uh, aspect as, uh, as it becomes available and more um, you know, uh, down the road and becomes more available. But uh, I appreciate you uh, coming on tonight and sharing it with my audience, and I look forward to you coming back again soon.
4: Thank you, Ted. It's, uh, it's an honor. It's, it's always great to talk to you. Hope you and your, your family are doing well and appreciate all the mm-hmm. kudos, but I, I don't think I'd be here without <laughs> our franchises and our partners. And, uh, you know, frankly, to be honest, you know, the GCAA and, and, and Greg Gross, you know, mm-hmm. he helped instill the confidence in me um, that we could do this and provide this service for the coaches and it, how, how important and how needed it was for the juniors and their families. You hit the nail on the head. Boy, you hit the nail on the head. it's uh, the education process in golf can sometimes get lost. Can sometimes get lost yep. with these juniors and their families, and to be able to walk them down a path and to be able to show them the opportunities and, and guide them on, on on where to go, that's uh, that's something special.
1: I couldn't agree more, and I'm excited that you're going to be. Uh, literally, not too in the too far in the distant future, you're going to be hitting that one millionth kid. I know that's going to be <laughs> a uh, a day of celebration, and uh, I hope you've got something very special planned for that one millionth kid. Uh, maybe a little something, a little extra for them. Uh, maybe through some of your partners, and that they can arrange something. I think that would be kind of exciting, but uh, for that youngster, anyways. Um, but uh, again, Joshua, thank you very much for joining me tonight. Always a pleasure, and I look forward to you uh, coming back and spending some time with me again in the audience.
4: Thank you, Ted. Be well.
1: Uh, You too. All right. Bye-bye. All right, that was Joshua Jacobs, CEO of TGA Premier Sports. Uh, And as he mentioned, uh, for those of you that are interested in TGA, uh, you can learn more about the programs and... uh, You can get uh, all of the information there if you go to playtga.com. That's www.playtga.com. And if you're interested, again, it's still sort of new getting off the ground, but the college golf experience, uh, if you want to get more information there, and as he said, the NCAA is coming out with uh, their announcement, uh, he believes, next week with uh, when things are going to be a little bit more uh, open. Uh, It may be June, it may be August. They're not quite sure yet. But um, anyways, you can go and check out and get more information, go to collegegolfx.com. That's www.collegegolf and the letter x.com to get more information there, and I'm sure they'll keep you updated as well. All right, I want to take this opportunity uh, again one more time to thank uh, my very special guests uh, on the Coach's Corner, John Hughes, Pete Buchanan, and of course my very special guest, Joshua Jacobs, uh, CEO and founder of TJ Premier Sports. Thank you as well, everybody, for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget, if you want to get more, uh, learn about the tips that we talked about on the Coach's Corner panel, go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live and just scroll down to the On Demand section. Just give it a few moments as it populates and the recorded version will be there. You can go and listen to that section if you came in late. Uh, There's some great tips on how to hit the ball further. And uh, we talked about as well how to create a sustainable plan uh, to last the te- uh, time tested if you will or last the test of time whatever whatever I'm getting tired so I got to go thank you everybody God bless and I'll see you next week right here on golf talk live
0: thanks for joining us we hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of golf talk live we'd like to thank this week's coaches corner panel and a special thank you to tonight's guest Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.